As you're getting settled, can I invite you to pull out your Bible, open that up, get it out, uh, get to the book of Romans where we'll be today. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't own a Bible, just raise your hand and ushers are already down the aisles. You're going to need a Bible this morning because we're going we're gonna to go to an extremely powerful but very complex passage we'll look at this morning. You'll want the written word in front of you there today. And it's a wonderful day today in the life of our church because today is a baptism Sunday. It's a baptism Sunday. That's why, that's the meaning of the, the two placards here, the big posters on my left and my right. Those are baptism verses. It's a baptism Sunday, and that means tonight at 5.30, we'll come back for a special service that'll be different than this morning service. It'll be all baptisms. In fact, we're baptizing 15 folks this tonight. Yeah, how cool. Thank you. God is good. It's so great. Uh, a bunch of the folks are high school kids who were in Korea and had their, their lives turned upside down by Jesus. A couple of our junior high kids that were at camp, some adults. It's just going to be an amazing service. I really hope you'll come back and be a part of that service. And I want to promise you that if you do come back, your heart will be blessed by what you'll experience. And you will walk away inspired in your relationship with Christ. I promise you, the most beautiful and the most inspiring moments that happen in our church tend to happen at baptism services. They're just amazing. And you know, if you've been to one, they're so encouraging to hear the testimonies of faith, to hear people talk about how Jesus has impacted their lives. It's inspiring. It's like you get a front row seat in what happens to somebody when Jesus grabs a hold of their lives, and you will be blessed. A couple years ago, we did a baptism service on Easter Sunday, the night, Easter night. You may have remembered this. We, we got up on Easter morning, and we preached the gospel, and we called people to faith in Christ. And then we said to people, if you love Jesus and you've not been baptized, maybe you've even come to faith in Christ this morning, come talk to us after the service. We have a baptism tonight. We're inviting you to get baptized. And this guy came up after the service and he talked to some of the pastors and he just had that look of a man who had been deeply impacted by Jesus. You know that look, it's sort of crazy, radical, like his eyes were popping out of his head. And he was just totally fired up. And he, and he said, I, when I came to church this morning, I made a promise to God that if the pastor invited people to baptism, I would finally get baptized, <laughs> right? We should never make those deals with God because he'll take you up on it. So we met with him. Pastor Christopher met with him and listened for a genuine testimony of faith. This guy definitely understood the gospel. So we said, come back tonight, bring a change of clothing, get baptized. Well, he showed up and he didn't have a change of clothing. He showed up in exactly what he was wearing that morning. He was wearing basketball shoes. I'll never forget this. Basketball shoes, shorts, and a collared shirt, okay? And he showed up to the service. So I'm thinking he's not going to get baptized. But he was fully there to be baptized. He said to Christopher, I'm going in exactly as I am. Christopher said, with your basketball shoes? With my basketball shoes. This guy walked into the baptismal, fully clothed, basketball. We've never done that before. And he got baptized because he wanted, he wanted to express how Jesus had changed him exactly as he is into something new. Isn't that amazing? And his shoes got totally wet. And it was awesome. It was beautiful. And people were inspired. So come back because you will be inspired. Join us tonight, 530. 
Have you ever thought about this though? Have you ever thought about how radical baptism is? Radical, almost verging on, it's almost kind of weird, a little bit strange, what we do when we baptize someone. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be a visitor who has no exposure to Christianity and the first thing you come to is a baptism service? It would freak you out, right? You walk in and there's a guy up there like shoving people down into water and then pulling them back out of the water. You'd think I've come to like a cult experience. What's going on here, right? It's super radical and graphic what happens in a baptism. People are plunged into water and they come back out of the water with an expression of joy, hopefully. Hopefully they're not coughing and spitting, but they come out of the water and, and, and there's all of this graphic, radical imagery. Why would Jesus choose this act to be the expression for a person who's come to faith in Christ? Why this act? Why something so radical? I think it's because only something that radical can capture the change, the complete change of identity that happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus. It's like the change is so unbelievably radical that the, the, that the only word picture powerful enough to put it on display is the word picture of baptism, this this expression of baptism. Did you know that there is a truth about your identity in Christ? There's a truth about your identity and about your new life in Christ and your pursuit of holiness in God that's so life-altering that the only way to really display it is your baptism. And did you know that if you, this morning, because we're going to talk about this truth, if you were to finally really grasp the significance of this truth, it would totally change the way you live your Christian life and the way you pursued God and pursued holiness. What is that truth? It's, it's simply this. You are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave did you know that? You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free. You are free. Brother or sister in Christ, I, I want you to make eye contact with me because I want you to realize that I am not speaking now in theoretical terms. I am talking to you, to your heart, and I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you are free. You are no longer a slave. Did you know that when you come to a baptism and you watch someone get baptized and they come out of the water and the water washes over them and it's dripping through their hair, the, one of the very first things that you should think is you should think that person has just been set free from slavery. They've been set free. They are free. Hallelujah. That person is no longer in bondage to sin. That's one of the first things you should think. And did you know that one of the truest things about you, about your identity, is that you have been set free from sin? Now, I don't know how this is landing right now. 
I don't know how this is landing on your heart. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, I've never heard that before. I've always heard that I was hopelessly sinful. It's just, I can't help it. It's like, I'm just a sinner. That's just who I am. Maybe that, maybe that was the tradition you were raised in. Maybe you have literally never sat through a sermon and heard a pastor say, actually, you're free. You are no longer a slave to sin. Or maybe you're hearing that and you're thinking, well, I didn't even realize that I was ever in bondage to sin. I didn't know I was a slave at one point in my life before Christ. So this is new language for me. Or maybe you're hearing it and you're thinking, it sounds amazing and I love the truth and it sounds right, but I feel like there's this massive distance between what you're saying about my identity and what my day-to-day life experience is. I don't feel like I'm free. In fact, sometimes I feel like I'm very much in bondage to sin in my life. And maybe as you're sitting here hearing this, you're taking stock of your own life and thinking, boy, I hope pastor helps me bridge the gap between where I feel like I'm at today and this truth. You're telling me I'm free in sin. Well, that's why we're here, isn't it? Isn't that why we come to church? The Bible could not be more clear. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they get set free from bondage. And baptism, baptism is the picture of that freedom. Will you look with me at how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 6? Let's read together. I'm going to read the first four verses, and I'll stop and make some comments, and then we'll keep going. We notice as I read how Paul talks about baptism. Romans 6 verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What an incredibly rich, deep passage. By the way, if you're reading that and you're thinking, I think I comprehended about half of that, maybe less, if I'm being totally honest. Like, there is a lot going on here. This is complex. If you're thinking that, I want you to know you're in good company. Pastors and scholars and Christians have read Romans 6 and stumbled over it and wrestled with it and thought, this, there is a lot going on here. Uh, There was a famous preacher named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was one of the most famous preachers in England in the mid-1900s. And he preached at Westminster Chapel. 2,000 people would come on a Sunday to hear him preach. He was an incredible preacher. And one Sunday night after a Sunday of services, a gentleman came and met him in his office and said, Dr. Jones, when are you going to preach through the book of Romans? Like, I really want want you to preach through Romans. It took Martin Lloyd-Jones three years to preach through the book of Ephesians. So imagine how long Romans would take him, right? So he said, I will preach to the book of Romans on the day that I finally understood Romans 6. Then I'll preach Romans. 
He did preach Romans. It took him 18 Sundays to preach Romans 6 alone, 18 Sundays. We're going to do it in one, which might be a real unwise thing to do, but we're going to do it in one Sunday. So when you read it and you go, this is complex, you're in good company. But I want you to know by God's grace, you're going to get this today. And I want you to leave empowered about your true identity. Did you notice that Paul, one of the very first things he does is he contrasts two ways to live. So in the end of verse four, look at the phrase at the end of verse four in your Bible. Paul says, here's one way to live and it's walking in newness of life. That's one way to live. That's the Christian way to live. A Christian walks in newness of life. You know what that is? That's just a description of our series. That's a pursuit of holiness. Walking in newness of life means walking towards God, moving closer and closer to God, following Jesus, becoming like God, becoming like Christ. There's a newness, there's a spiritual aliveness to it. And Paul says, if you're a Christian, that's the direction your life ought to be going. But there's another direction that a person can walk, and it's walking away from God. Paul says you can be moving towards God, walking in newness in life, or you can be continuing in sin. So really sin, one way to understand sin is it's the opposite of pursuit of holiness. If pursuit of holiness is moving closer to God, sin is moving away from God. And Paul would say, and Jesus would say, and the other writers would say, it's, it's one or the other. You're, you're either going in one direction or you're going in the other. And so Paul poses this question in verse 2, and it's, it's a very important question. Every believer needs to ponder this question today. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? How can, if you've died to sin, how can you still be living in sin? He seems to be saying that would be a contradiction in terms. If you've ever studied the laws of logic, one of the laws of logic is the law of non contradiction, which just basically says you cannot be at the same time and in the same sense alive and dead to sin. You're either dead to sin or you're alive to sin, but it's one or the other. And so Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? But the Christian reads that phrase and they say, well, but what does it mean to die to sin? Because I feel like in my life, sin is very much still alive in me and influencing me. And I feel like I'm struggling. Maybe you've come in this morning and you're caught in bondage to something. And you almost feel like sin is very much exerting influence over you. And you say, how can I, how can I be dead to sin? Well, there's three critical things we have to keep in mind. These are going to be sort of the points of my sermon. Three critical truths that I want to share with you that we'll pull from Romans 6. And here is critical truth number one. I'm going to put it on the screen if you want to write it down. Take it with you this morning. It goes like this. Dying to sin, okay, happens as a result of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's about a relationship with Jesus, a living relationship. So in a sense, you die, but there's only a part of you that dies. There's a part of you that very much comes to life as you begin a faith relationship with Jesus. But Paul wants you to understand, and I'm going to press into your hearts this morning, that 
the only people who die to sin are people who have entered into a living faith relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the moment when you die to sin because Jesus died, you died. And that's what baptism shows us. So you look again at verses three and four with me. Look at the way Paul talks about baptism. So graphic. It's a very graphic, radical expression of Christian faith. The Christian is saying, in my baptism, I am connecting somehow. I'm being united with Jesus. And what part of Jesus am I being united to? His death and his resurrection. Paul says, Romans 6, verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says, yes, you died and yes, you rose again, but it's, it's, it's not a physical dying. It's a spiritual dying that happens as you're united with Jesus Christ in a relationship of faith. Something happens in that moment where a part of you dies and a part of you is resurrected. And Paul says, you become the beneficiary of Jesus' gospel work on the cross. This is powerful. The biggest, heaviest person I ever baptized was a 300-pound football player, okay? It was early on in our life as a church, or in my time as a church. This guy walked up. He was massive, just really, really big. And I was already worried. I think I can get him into the water, but can I get him back out? You know, that's the question. So he came down into the baptismal and I'm standing outside of the baptismal. And when he went down, it was like, it was like one of those guys who do the cannonballs in the, in the pool and all the water comes out. So all, all this water came out of the baptismal over my feet and I was standing on plastic. We lay down plastic, you know, this is not good. So he goes down in the water and I'm about to like put down my leg to get him back out and my foot slipped out from behind me and I went down to my knees and the guy is still in the water, okay? He's just down there chilling in the water. So I jump up and I imagine other pastors were like getting ready to rush over. It's like, we got to get this guy to the resurrection part of this experience, you know? He's dead, but can we get him to life? So I, by the grace of God, I get my hand out of there and lift him out of the water. Okay, problem solved. But then some people, some people actually have a hard time getting into the water. Some people, they just, they almost resist going in. It's human nature. We don't want to be shoved down in water, right? And literally, I've, I've been baptized baptizing people and they're sort of pushing back like, wait a minute, what's happening here? And I have to like get my elbow into it, you know. (laughs) No, you're dying to Christ, like right now, shoving him down and then getting him out, you know. Because we resist this, right? But Jesus didn't resist it. Jesus went into the tomb of his own accord with love in his heart to pay for human sin And not only did he go into the tomb, he died physically. The life light, the flicker of physical life was extinguished in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he was buried in a tomb. And then he rose again in power. And when he rose in power, he conquered sin and he conquered death. And the Christian dies with Christ and is raised again with Christ. 
River Wester, do you know how precious your relationship with Jesus is? It is so precious. Do you know what sets Christianity apart from all other views of life is you enter into a relationship with Christ, a living relationship where all of the benefits of his death and resurrection become yours and you, a part of you literally dies to sin and you're raised to new life. Hallelujah. It's so good. I'm a huge fan of 12-step programs, okay? Alcoholics Anonymous and many others. I've, I've met people whose lives have been transformed through 12-step programs. These programs that come alongside people and help them get out of, re recover from alcoholism or other addictions. Did you know that many of the 12-step programs, in fact, almost all of them, are based on biblical principles? Did you know this? These were, in fact, the, the people who started Alcoholics Anonymous were Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians. And they started this program. And so much of their insight came directly from God's word. It was in Alcoholics Anonymous that they finally said, alcoholism is a spiritual sickness. This is a spiritual problem. And a spiritual problem needs a spiritual cure. And early on in the days of Alcoholics Anonymous, they were intentionally leading people deeper into the heart of God, into a relationship with Christ, into repentance and forgiveness. It was powerful. The 12 steps are biblical principles. Surrender and repentance and turning your life over to Jesus. And so if you are in a place in your life where you're, where you're addicted, where you are, you are in alcoholism actively, please get help. Go to a 12-step program. Do something. But can I just say one critique of some 12-step programs? Some, not all. Each group is different. One of my observations is that some 12-step programs, although they've diagnosed the problem, they've said it's a spiritual thing, as they lead you towards a spiritual cure, they only get you to an unknown God. Sort of like uh, a higher power, quote unquote. But they, they never take people and give them his name. His name is Jesus. And if you don't call on the name of Jesus, you'll never die to sin. You won't die to sin. It's like lighting a fuse that's not connected to the dynamite. But you want the power of Christ to explode in your life. And I'm telling you, that will only happen on the moment that you fall on your knees and turn your life over in faith to Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you do that this morning if you've not already done that? I'm going to pray about that later. That's truth number one. Here's truth number two. When you died with Christ... A critical change occurred. Critical. Sin lost its spiritual authority over you. This is what happened. When you died in your relationship with Jesus, the core of the change, the most critical thing that happened in your identity is that sin was stripped of its authority and its ability to exert influence over your life. 
And that is at the that is at the heart of what Paul is describing here. Paul and all the New Testament writers, they, when they describe sin, they almost talk about sin as this spiritual dominion. It's a, it's a force that rules in our world and it actually has authority over people and people are in bondage to it. So will you read with me? Now, you're going to have to focus because Paul is, he's a lawyer, so he's very logical and he's very deep. Okay, we're, we're leaving the kiddie pool today, River West. We're walking into the deep end. All right, here we go. Romans 6, verse 5. Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we, will, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see that? You've been set free. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul says, when Jesus died, he died to sin. Temporarily, sin overcame him. But then Jesus walked out of the tomb in power. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was almost like this cosmic defiance against sin and evil. Jesus said no to sin and death, and he overcame it. And the power of bondage to sin was broken. And it was broken for any individual who would come to faith in Christ. But we're not used to this kind of language because we haven't spent enough time thinking about the reality that sin is actually a form of slavery. There's a sense in which before you come to Christ, you are in bondage to something and you have no control over it. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he was speaking to a group of religious leaders that had gathered and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Remember that? He says, sin isn't just something you sometimes do and sometimes don't do. A person who's practicing sin is actually in bondage. They have no choice, and we were born into that slavery. This is why we never have to teach infants how to start sinning, right? They just do it on their own. Parents, are you feeling me? Your kids, you didn't teach them how to do this, right? This is why we take credit for the stuff they do that's good. And then when they start sinning, we're like, it's the terrible twos. Or we blame our spouse. Your daughter, can you believe your daughter did that, (laughs) right? We call it the terrible twos. The terrible twos is a biblical principle. It's called original sin. Did you know this? You never have to teach your infant how to sin. They're gonna do it on their own. And when you're a parent... That day comes and your little angel suddenly becomes a demon. And you think, what happened? You know? I'll never forget Lauren Audrey, my precious little daughter. I swear she was born with little winglets. You know, she just came out of the womb with wings. She was just an angel. And then right around 18 months, there was this total pivot. I was sitting in the living room and we had a wood stove right in the middle of the kitchen and it was burning hot. And Lauren started walking over to the wood stove, and I said, Lauren, 
don't touch the stove. Do not touch the stove. And she looked at me with a look I'd never seen before. And I'm, I'm still in counseling because of this look. She looked at me as if to say, I reject you as a source of authority and wisdom in my life. Do you know that look? Parents, you get it. And she did the thing. She put out her finger, right? And then she looked back at me. And then she looked over at the stove and she was going to touch the stove in an act of defiance. I didn't teach her to do that, right? My wife said, are you gonna grab her? And for just a moment, I thought, you know, sin has consequences, baby. And <laughs> this is how she'll learn, but I didn't. I grabbed her, okay, I grabbed her. No one has to teach you. We, we know we were born into this. But did you know that a critical change happens when you come to Christ? A critical change. Something is shattered over you. And suddenly that feeling of being in shackles, that feeling of I have no control, this is just what I do, that is robbed of its power and prisoners are set free because of Jesus. Look at the way Paul described it in the end of verse six. Paul said, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that what? The body of sin might be brought to nothing. All that phrase means is it's rendered powerless. Whereas once before, Paul would say, I was a slave to sin. I had no choice. I couldn't not sin. Paul says, now my old self was crucified and it died and sin was robbed of its power. And now suddenly I am no longer a slave. I'm free. I'm free. And Paul says that's what happens to anyone who dies with Christ. They're set free. It's almost like this imagery of shackles that have been holding you down are, are open and they fall off. I've never, I've never actually been in shackles. I imagine you haven't either. It's not something we, we practice anymore. But in Paul's day, if you had someone in prison or you, if you had someone who was your captive or your slave, you wrapped these heavy, heavy shackles and they were locked and they were and they carried around chains and I just have this picture of shackles being popped open and it seems so visceral to me the closest I've ever come was when I was in high school they sent the local police officer to the school to talk about drunk, drunk driving and to scare the daylights out of us. You know that talk? And the guy comes in and he actually did a thing where he let a couple of us like get handcuffed and put in the back of the car, so I volunteered. So I'm in there and I've got these handcuffs on, but it was like, it was like two minutes, two minutes, and then I was free and I knew I would be free. But can you imagine being a slave in Paul's day or being in prison and you don't even know what life is like without these heavy, painful, metal shackles that are holding you down. And Paul says, that's sin. But something critical happened. You were set free. You died. And Jesus set you free. You are no longer a slave. The shackles have fallen off. Did you know this is true of you? Does it mean sin no longer is there to hamper you or tempt you? No, you'll still struggle. We're still living in this broken world. We're surrounded by situations that tempt us. 
Does it mean that you don't still have leftover habits that you acquired in your pursuit of sin? No, you have those. They're in you. And they'll, they'll, every once in a while, they'll rear their ugly head. Sin now is like a guerrilla warfare that happens in your life. But the battle has been won through Christ and you are free. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. But sometimes I fear in the church, we don't tell Christians how far they can get in a life of freedom from sin. Brothers and sisters, we have been invited to walk out of prison and into the daylight of freedom. Amen? Amen? I hope you'll hear that this morning. I hope when you think about the pursuit of holiness, you'll think about it as stepping out of prison into the light of freedom. I'm free. I don't have to sin anymore. When I'm struggling and I'm tempted, and even when I'm caught in sin, the thing that I want to, the thing that I want to always remember in that moment, this is so important. I hope you'll apply this in your life because I know you, you, you get into the struggle, but you're in that moment and you're feeling temptation. Have you ever stopped and said, I don't have to do this? I actually do not have to sin right now. I'm free. I am not a slave to this. So that if I stumble or I stub my toe or I, or I, or I blow it, I, I don't say at that point, well, I couldn't help it. I'm just a sinner. No, 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 no. I'm free. I'm free. And Jesus is saying, you are free. And Jesus, this morning, he's inviting you to step into the light of your new freedom. Christ. I hope you will. I hope you will. But that leads me to my third critical truth. And this one's actually, um, it's more of an observation, okay, that I have made, but I think it's going to resonate with you. Here's how I wrote it. For some reason, free people tend to linger in the prison cell. And I'm not always exactly sure why, but it seems to happen sometimes. It's like I'm free, and I know I'm free. And now the pastor is telling me I'm free. And more importantly, God is because Romans 6 says, I am free. I'm no longer a slave. But for some reason, I continue to hang out back in that place with the shackles on. And they've been broken. And I could walk out into freedom, but for some reason, I'm lingering here. This week I read in John 11 the, uh, the account where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know if you remember the story. It's a really gripping story. And Lazarus has died. He's already in the tomb. He's wrapped in linen. And everyone thinks he's dead. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And then he, with authority, he calls into the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus rises from the dead and he walks out of the tomb. And it's this powerful picture of freedom and the victory that Jesus can bring over sin and death. But what's interesting in the story, go back and read it, John 11. When Lazarus is walking out, he's alive, but he's still wrapped in linen. 
And the Bible even says his face is wrapped. It would be like looking at a mummy, you know, coming out. It was probably pretty scary, actually. And he comes out and, and he's wrapped in linen. His face is wrapped. And the word that the Bible uses is the word bondage. He is bound by his grave clothes. And so Jesus doesn't just say, walk out. Jesus says one more thing. He says, take off the grave clothes. You're not dead anymore. It's time to step into your new identity. But it's like for some reason, we want to linger there. We want to linger with the old parts of our life. We want to keep the shackles on. Maybe they feel safe or comfortable, but Jesus is saying, no, no more. Walk into freedom. And this is why Paul, at this point, at verse 11, he gets super practical. And I'm going to get really practical for you. I'm going to help you when you leave here. But I want to show you what Paul says. He, he makes a pivot and he says, here's what you need to do now, starting in verse 11. First, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ. Which is weird because he just spent the first 10 verses saying, you are dead to sin. And then at verse 11, he says, so what do you do? Here's what you do. You consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. But then he goes on, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is actually extremely practical. And what I want you to do is take those four or five verses and, and master them. Because Paul says, here's your true identity, you're free, and now here's how you live into that freedom. And what I did is I, I took those four verses and I summarized them in three questions. And I'm going to give you these questions today. I'm not going to take a lot of time with them. These three questions are the three questions that you can take into the fight, okay? When you're in the struggle, when you're, when you're experiencing temptation, when sin is creeping at your door, I want you to take these three questions into the battle and ask them and answer them according to Romans 6. Here they are. Number one, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Paul says, consider. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, how do you see yourself? Do you understand what your true identity is? Really, actually, the better way to ask that question is how does God see you and do you agree with God? Because God sees you and he says you're free. So how do you see yourself? Consider, Paul says, that you are dead to sin. Okay? So you have to think about it. You have to take stock of biblical truth. Sometimes, sometimes there's something true about our identity, but there's all of this input around me that seems to be contradicting that truth. So Paul says, you have to slow down and ask the question, do I really see myself as free or do I still see myself as in bondage? That's gonna make a difference. How do you see yourself? But also, what are you saying to yourself? You know, you ever heard the phrase, the power of self-talk? You know that you're constantly talking to yourself about your identity. And sadly, a lot of what you're saying is actually not all that helpful. 
We are constantly telling ourselves stuff about ourselves. And it might be time to change the script. Because maybe the way you're talking to yourself is not coming from Romans 6, verses 1 to 10. So Paul says, what are you saying to yourself? Are you pounding yourself, beating yourself down, telling yourself you're no good, telling yourself you can't help, this is what you've always done, this is my identity, I'm just a jerk, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a whatever. And, and that power of self-talk becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Paul says, it's time to change the script. And then finally, who are you serving in this moment? And I mean right now, in this moment, who am I going to serve? And I'm, am I going to present my body to this sin, or am I going to serve and present my body to Jesus Christ, my Savior? Because you're free. You don't have to serve sin anymore. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to give yourself to? Are you going to put yourself in a situation where you know you're going to stumble? You know those situations? You've learned, if I go there at 11 p.m., it's not going to go well for me. Or if I buy that thing and bring it home, it's not going to go well for me. Or if I go to that website, it's not going to go well for me. And you stop and go, who am I going to serve right now? Am I going to serve sin or am I going to serve God and righteousness? You just stop, ask those questions. What's my identity? Am I saying it to myself? And who am I serving? And I pray that that will become a powerful, powerful antidote in your life to sin. Now here's what, how I want to end. Go ahead and close your Bible. Put your pen down. This is the moment where I'm going to talk really personally to you, okay? Because I know, I know this, that many have come in today and you are totally in bondage. And you're in bondage and you're broken and you're hearing this sermon and you love the truth that you're hearing, but you're almost beginning to feel despair because you feel so caught up in something. And what's crazy is it's something that you actually hate. If you were being totally honest with yourself, you hate it. And you know that it's ruining your life. But you're con you continue to be stuck in it. And you're thinking, the pastor is saying, and Romans is saying that I'm free, but I don't feel free. Jesus, will you please help me to step into the light of freedom? We're going to pray right now. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray that I hope will cause the shackles to fall off in your life. So will you bow your heads with me right now? Take a posture of prayer. Colin and the team are going to come and get ready to lead us. But just take a minute and sit before the Lord and open your heart to him. And I'm going to ask you to begin to let God speak to you truth about Christ. Heavenly Father, we know that what we've just read is absolutely true. We know that the, the cross 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful. The reign of sin was broken. Death was overcome. We know that a relationship with Jesus is an invitation into freedom. That there's a part of us that dies and we come to new life, resurrection life in Christ. We know that sin is still hanging around like an unwelcome house guest. <laughs> and the, but the problem is, Lord, for some of us, that guest has taken over. If that's you and you're hurting, if that's you and your life is destroyed, if that's you and you feel powerless, don't look inward right now to find strength. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And in faith, cry out to him. Put your hope in Christ right now. Don't wait. Lay down your life. Surrender to Jesus. Put your faith in him and beg him to begin to change you. And Father, we pray for anyone who's in that space right now that they would feel just the flood of your mercy and your love, but also power. God, will you call, cause shackles to fall off in this room this morning, I pray in faith. That for the very first time, some of us would walk out of the prison cell as free men and women. We pray for that, Lord Jesus. It's because of your death and your resurrection. That's our hope. And so we love you and we want to follow you. And we pray it now in the power of your name, in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen.